Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket, a cricket podcast that is not a second string side like most things in cricket these days. I'm your host, Benny, and this week, me and fellow co-host Mayank will be speaking with returning guest Ananya Upendran. For the benefit of newer listeners, Ananya is a former cricketer who enjoyed a successful career with Hyderabad and Sikkim for over a decade, while making appearances for India A and South Zone as well. After a short stint with West in India, where she covered the 2016 T20 World Cup, she worked as a freelance journalist for several years before taking over as managing editor of Women's Creek Zone in 2019. We spoke to her about the recently concluded tour of England by the Indian women and what it revealed about the road ahead for Indian women's cricket. Well, Ananya, thank you so much for coming back on the Last Wicked Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me again. I'm glad you haven't gotten bored of me yet. <laughs> well, I, I kind of missed you the last time you came on with Karunya, but uh, I did listen to that episode that you spoke with Mike and Himanish. And, you know, the last time you came on, you talked about or you touched upon the history of Indian women's cricket while putting it in context of you know the current state of the game in India. And now that we've had a major tour coming to an end recently, I want to talk about you know the last few weeks and what it has revealed, what it says about the future of this team. Um, so before we get into the finer details of the tour, I wanted to kind of get your general assessment of the outcomes, because I did see your tweet a couple of days ago um, where you said India were competitive they weren't supposed to be, not after barely being able to play or practice for the better part of 18 months. They had no business saving that test after having no time to prepare. They had no right to challenge England in the limited over internationals, but they did. It's not all bad. So could you expand on that? You know, were you expecting more, uh, but satisfied with the outcome? Um, well, I, I'm not going to say that I was ho uh, expecting more. I think I was hoping for more. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, honestly, just taking uh, the series in context and, and looking at the bigger picture of 
the fact that there was no time to prepare and things like that, I'm quite happy with the way it turned out. Um, you know, just looking at the strength of that England side, I um, on paper, I thought that they would just smash us. And um, mm -hmm. I thought they would seal the series at the end of the ODIs um, because they, they should have. I mean, they've been playing a lot more cricket than we have. And, um, and, and just through the lockdown, I mean, I was in touch with a lot of the players and it was just so hard for them to just get out and, and even practice normally, even if it was, you know, just playing against the bowling machine or doing anything. It was almost impossible for a lot of them to get training sessions in. So um, just looking at the bigger context, I think it was pretty amazing uh, the way this team played. Um, but then again, as fans or as media, we're all going to expect or want them to do a lot better. Um, because the unfortunate thing is that a lot rides on the, the team's performance. Like every time they go out, they need to do well because if they don't do well, then, you know, last time they lost against South Africa, same circumstances. We were then told that, hey, your four-team women's T20 challenge is going to remain a three-team women's T20 challenge because you lost a series. So, you know, there's, there's always so much riding on their performances. So, you know, just as an audience, you you hope that they'll do a lot better, but yeah, just looking at the wider context, I think they were very good. Um, and this was an England team that, or is an England team that is just, I think, miles ahead of where India is in terms of at least the limited overs uh, formats. We haven't cracked them yet. I think the fact that we got to the T20 World Cup final was on the back of one batter who, who played brilliantly and our bowling unit came together, but I think had we played that semi-final against England, it may have been slightly different. Um, and yeah, I think we just have a long way to go in limited overs, uh, internationals. As far as test cricket is concerned, I always believe that India is kind of, or the Indian players are made for test cricket. We uh, kind of are technically more sound than other international players. I think, you know, the way we're taught the game is to, you have to bat, technically correctly to, to make a stateside because if you are slightly unorthodox or if you're slightly different you're unlikely to make a stateside so you have to be very compact and I think that's why we we're made for test cricket and that probably showed in that game that even our lower order batters have the grit have the ability to last for long periods so yeah again like I, I'm I'm happy with the way the team performed um, because of the, the context of um, how they went into the series, but I would have wanted them to do a lot better. You know, you raised an important uh, point, which I was kind of going to, which I was going to touch upon as well, which is expectations, you know, of the public, you know, as someone who has only recently started following women's cricket, um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on critiquing the women's game or critiquing the players. You know, should we hold the women's team to the same standard that we hold the men's team? You know, is that fair or unfair? <laughs> Look, because uh, for how long I'm... can we say, oh, they did well, you know, because for the Indian men's team, I, I know obviously different, you know, they've had better structures and plays, but we are not as gracious <laughs> when the Indian men's team uh, don't do well. So should we be more generous, more kinder with the women's team performances or? Well, I, um, honestly, I've been grappling with that question a lot because I watch this, I watch the Indian team and I'm, I'm, I'm I get very, very frustrated. Um, and I want to say a lot of things that I feel like, um, and, and this is probably just me. I feel like having been part of the fraternity for a very long time and 
having played um, domestic cricket in India and, and for India A, I know what the structure is. I know what the support systems are like. And I know how difficult it is to do what, what the women's team does. So um, I think it, it's probably a personal thing where I feel like I have to, I, I want to protect them. I want to kind of um, show them in the best light. But on the flip side, I also want, um, you know, I think it's important that we do criticize or that we do critique, maybe not criticize, but that we do critique them. And, and that we, you know, I think criticism to a large extent shows, from my perspective, that people care. Um, right. Right. that people are watching and, and they expect better of you. And, and it's important um, to, to do that, um, especially considering these are professional athletes and, and it is their right. job to do a lot better. Um, but again, it, it just goes back to, I think, like I said, I think this is me personally, um, uh, that I feel like maybe the game needs to grow a little bit more. Maybe they need to get a bit more support. Um, we'll bring in the fans, we'll tell them all the good things about these women, bring them in. And then, you know, maybe then you can say, hey, this is wrong, that is wrong. But um, yeah, I, I think for me, I'm, I'm just kind of conflicted. I'm not sure what to do. But yeah, I've had a lot of these conversations with my colleagues and because they are people who covered a lot of men's cricket or watch a lot of men's cricket. And like you said, the men wouldn't you know we wouldn't be so nice had they lost um, the way they did or had they played the way they did um and right. I'd, I'd hope that at some point in the future we're able to to critique the women or criticize the women's team as openly and 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 say things directly instead of kind of covering them up and, and trying and, to well not taking names yeah yeah and, and i really hope that happens sooner and the reason i say that is because you know we don't criticize because we love to criticize. It's like you said, we are so invested in the team's performance that we are disappointed and we feel like, oh, this could have been done better. And my worry is that if we are gonna settle for close defeats or just, oh, they fought well, that's what matters. It almost becomes coddling and then the team doesn't have the incentive to do better because they, you, you, they might think that, oh, we just have to turn up and just play well. It doesn't matter if we win or lose. Whatever happens, you know, the fans love us. And that's good up to a point. But then I feel it can get condescending where you never take the game seriously. You're not never going to take the team seriously. So I think it is time. I don't know if it's overdue, but like you said, maybe it, it does need a little bit more time where we hold them to the standard. And that is a mark of respect, not that we want to criticize them. Uh, because we are so invested that, you know, we feel like they can do so much better. And I think a lot of teams over the years, you know, especially in, in men's cricket, when they're criticized, they, a lot of teams do take that to heart and make efforts to improve and improve structures, get better coaching systems in place, players improve. And I think that would be a good thing for Indian women's cricket too, instead of always just saying they fought well, they played well, that's what matters. So I really hope we can get to that stage. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. And, and I hope that that happens because, I, and like you said, I always, I also feel like players or people uh, associate criticism with hate. And I think right. we need to be able to divide that and, and just understand that it comes from a, from a good place most of the time. All right, well, let's get into the actual games <laughs> that happened. So we'll first talk about the one-off test match. All right. So um, I know it's been a little bit since we had the test match. So for anyone listening who doesn't remember the scorecard, a quick recap. Um, England batted first and got 396 for nine. 
Uh, our spinners took majority of the wickets, and then India had a really good opening stand, uh, did not lose a wicket until 167. And unfortunately, that was followed up with a collapse where we were gone for 231. Following up, uh, India again batted uh, reasonably well. Shafali Verma, another 50 for her. Deepthi Sharma got a 50. And then uh, really good batting by the lower middle order, uh, Snerana and Tanya Bhatia, who made 80 not out and 44 to finish a really good draw. Um, so I think, Ananya, the first thing that came to my mind when I watched the game was a touch disappointed about our pacers. Um, would you agree? I think our spinners definitely did a very good job, but considering the conditions, um, I was expecting a little more out of our seam bowlers. Yeah, I mean, I was I was disappointed as well. I mean, I I you you hold well. I think Julian Goswami did bowl very very well, but again, she was the only one who was kind of consistent with her lines and lengths, and, and even challenged the English batters. I think both Shikha Pandey and and Buja Vasaka were slightly disappointing. Um, but I think it showed like through the tour, you could see them get better. And it was probably the fact that they haven't bowled for a long time. But um, honestly, I was more disappointed in Shikha than I was of Uja Vasuka because I, I didn't expect her to play. I don't think she's India's third best seamer. But um, yeah, I, I was surprised by that call. Um, yeah, but they were disappointing. I think, you know, again, not to defend them, but I feel like they weren't used very well, um, especially on day two. Um, I feel like when the ball was swinging, um, the fact that they were chopped and changed a lot probably didn't help. So I'm, I'm not defending them, but yeah, they, they were disappointing, but I think we could have used them a bit better. Yeah, it definitely felt like there was a lot of trust in the spinners for sure. Uh, but I think I'm, I'm with you. I, I felt that Shaka Pandey with her experience and I know she's only played the one test before, but uh, nonetheless, all, all her experience over the years, I was expecting a little more. Um, and I think uh, it, it just made me feel that it, it's either a process where one, obviously we've not played as much long form cricket domestically. And two, I think in India just in limited overs they rely heavily on their spinners. So that sort of showed in the long form game as well. It did. And, and it's not just a lot, uh, just in one day or international cricket. I think in, in domestic cricket as well, you'll see a plethora of spinners in, in the wicket taking charts. They're always probably 80% of the, of the top 10. So um, I think it's it's probably a combination of the fact that going even lower into domestic cricket, we don't really trust our seamers and, and that's a whole other issue. So it just percolates into uh, international cricket. And, you know, India do produce some of the best spinners in the world. So that's not a surprise at all. Also, you know, can I say how big a fan I am of Shafali Verma? Um, you know, I, I know that she kind of, you know, made her name through the limited overs games and this being her first test. I, I was just so impressed that, and, and, and I'm always impressed when attacking batters have this, you know, a good defense. And I don't know if it was a surprise to many, but at least it was to me that she seemed to have a really good defense, a compact defense when people were bowling at her stumps. And then of course, all, all the shots. Um, what, what do you, I mean, it, it seems like, you know, a very obvious answer. Yes, you, she is a great prospect for the future. But just based on her, her assessment of the match, you know, the, the game awareness and how she faced off against uh, the English bowlers, what, what is your take on, you know, what does her future look like across all formats? 
Oh, well, she what, have, what what she showed through the tour is that she has a she looks like she has a great future across all formats. I think, you know, she's she has the potential to be an all time great. I think um, if she if she carries on um, on this trajectory. So um, look, I, I'm not surprised at all, and I know it was surprising to a lot of people that she has such a compact technique or, or a very good defense. But you know, if you walk into any cricket academy in India, the first thing you are taught is a forward defense. So um, Shafali Varma wouldn't have progressed into the senior nets or uh, to playing boys if she didn't have a good forward defense. Um, and, you know, just having seen her in domestic cricket as well, even though we only play um, short format cricket, um, she does have very, very good game awareness. She's, um, she's not, I suppose, an orthodox batter in, in Indian terms, but she is someone who, who solves problems very well. Um, so if you watch her through the course of her career, um, one of the things we found very early is that she's very susceptible to in-swing and um, because she would constantly back away from the stumps. And we saw that in this series as well. But um, over the course of that season, I think this was 2018-19, she just found a way to kind of come in line and hit people over mid-wicket through fine leg. And um, even against the short ball, I think she, she quickly found ways to, to continue to score because that's the only way she's going to survive or, you know, continue to, to be impactful uh, in, in international cricket. Um, and, you know, just through her career, she's, she's quickly found ways to solve problems. And I think that's, that's something that stands out to me um, that's very different um, to other Indian batters. I think other Indian batters kind of find or try to stick to a certain process. Um, and, and Shafali's someone who's, who's much more flexible, much more willing to make change. And, and she's, she's a much faster learner than most people. And I think that's what's helped her kind of, um, I suppose, find her feet in international cricket quickly. And, and also, you know, she's only played a couple of years of domestic cricket, but she is already one of the most feared batters there as well. So yeah, I, I, she is a wonderful prospect for sure. Yeah, and one thing that struck me, and I think this is similar to men's cricket too, I feel like cricketers of, let's say, the 90s or even before that, um, when when they turn up on the field, if you just observe their body language, and I might be reading too much into this, but it almost seemed like they had a very timid or apologetic kind of approach to things. It was almost like when they're either they're batting or bowling it is all almost very polite and then a lot has changed in the last two decades you know on the men's side we have someone like Virinder Sewa or Virat Kohli apart from their just their cricketing skills it's just the presence that they bring on the field you know the swagger and I think that's what really sets apart Shafali uh, for me because when she's there she looks like she belongs and that she is there to dominate. Whereas other, uh, other cricketers in the side, you know, they're very good as well, but I don't get that same body language. You know, it almost seems very hesitant or diffident. Um, again, I might be reading too much into it, but this is like one obvious thing that I can pick up. Yeah, it does come across like, you know, it, it, it almost in Hindi, it's like, it's like Tukon hai. Like get get on and, and do whatever you you know you have to do. I'm gonna do my right. thing and, and I know what I'm doing. So yeah, she yeah. she's been like that from the very start. I mean, um, it, again in her first year of, of senior cricket, I saw her smashing um, India bowlers all around the ground, and it was almost like if she knew that you were an international player, she was just gonna go doubly hard at you. She didn't <laughs> care. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's awesome to see an Indian like like that. 
Yeah. And, and she's built quite a reputation because uh, the two things from the one day, two celebrations that Catherine Brunt had from the one uh, T20 series, I looked at that and I was like, wow, they, they do realize the value of her wicket. So she's definitely built her reputation for sure. Um, but I think the other uh, player who was very impressive in that was actually in the English camp, who I thought Sophie Dunkley. Uh, she was so calm and you know, so great that it, it felt like she's been playing for at least a couple of years. Uh, thoughts on her? Yeah, again, almost like Shafali, it was like she knew exactly what she was do- doing. She didn't let the situation or the opposition get to her. And um, I think what's amazing about both these players was the fact that they knew their game so well and they knew, um, you know, where they could find runs, um, which bowlers they could attack and, and where they had to kind of hold for it. So, that was something that was very impressive, especially against Sophia Dunkley. I mean, you look at her, you, you, you look at her technique and you think, oh, she's not going to survive very long. But I think just the fact that she understands um, how to, one, survive and two, how to score runs with the technique that she has is, is pretty amazing. And um, yeah, the, the, I think the shot of the game for me was just her smashing Hulan Goswami straight down the ground. It was just, it was brilliant. And, and to, to think of a 38-year-old bowling to a 20-something was I mean, in her first test match, it was amazing. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, overall, a really good test match. I thought it was, um, you know, in, in a lot of good small contributions. Nirana, again, brilliant. Uh, Tanya Bhatt is pretty much always good behind the stumps, but she showed uh, her batting abilities as well. Um, I really enjoyed the test. I was a little disappointed I couldn't watch like the last session, but uh, overall, a very good test. And hopefully we'll uh, get to see the women's team play a lot more. Um, but then moving on to the one days. So I think obviously the England team won the first two, um, the first one particularly comfortably. And then India chased down uh, the total in the third one. And so I, I, I was just wondering about India's chasing record. And I looked up some of the stats. And uh, since 2018, India has won 18 times out of 24 when chasing. So when you look at that, just number-wise, 18 wins, six losses, that doesn't seem too bad. But then when you fine-tune and look at targets over 220, um, India's not doing that great. Uh, the three times that they've gotten targets over 220, they've lost. So uh, it almost made me feel that this third game, they, they also left it for too late. Um, what, what were your thoughts for that? Yeah, it did seem like that for most of the game. And, and it felt like um, probably the first ODI all over again, the fact that we kind of just lost our way in the middle overs. And, and you know, there were a lot of questions about the rate at which Mithali Raj was going, and, and rightly so. But um, so, so, yeah, looking from outside, I did feel like, oh, I'm not sure. But again, having seen her through her career, I feel like she always, um, a, a little like Dhoni, she, she almost falls behind the rate most of the time, but in chases, she'll invariably get you over the line. But um, again, like you said, if it's a target of 220, you can get away with that approach. But if it's anything more than that, I think um, India have a lot of problems with their batting. And I think that's something that we, or something that the team really need to address because, um, you know, from the outside looking in, there is a lot of attention on the bowling group and, and the fact that we say we're not able to, to get wickets, we're not able to to you know, restrict op- opponents to, to certain targets. But I think when you look at the overall results, if we're able to, in this day and age, keep teams to 220, 
um, I think your bowling group is doing pretty well. And um, while we do have a lot of potential with the bat, I think it's just the way that we, we approach uh, one day cricket really needs to change. I, I mean, you could see through the series that we were, were probably a decade behind England at the moment. And uh, that, that's a big worrying sign looking ahead when you have a World Cup in, in like seven months. And, and kind of tacking on to that, um, I found out that India's average first inning score is uh, in recent times is 222, uh, far lesser than English and Australian counterparts. And you kind of touched upon the whole debate over the, you know, the strike rate or the run rate, uh, and particularly the batting styles of players like Mithali Raj. And this is something that I've seen on social media as well. You know, there's this debate over, like, is it time for Mithali to kind of, you know, uh, because her style is not sync in sync with the style of the more, the younger, you know, batters. Now, of course, keep in mind, she scored consecutive 50s and in, India won one of those games where she led uh, Chase. But my personal thought too is that, again, it kind of goes back to that previous discussion on what is the standard to which, you know, we hold the women, you know, because obviously Dhoni for all of his achievements we fans are very harsh on him over the last several over the last few years of his career and i feel we're getting to that stage with you know players like Mithali Raj where we are having so much more expectations that the batting approach has to evolve and we are seeing that with the likes of Shafali Smriti Mandana Harman Preet you know when we have these players with all these capabilities you know where does Mithali Raj fit in where does her approach fit in with this team is it outdated or do you think there's still a place for her um well honestly i i think there's still a place for one player like that in, in the side I, I i don't think we can have more than one um in this day and age you can have someone like Natalia raj who's played in in different conditions and um you know she she knows what it takes to succeed at at international level and and just to have that experience in the middle order is, is absolutely fine so I'm okay if we have one Nathali Raj. I'm not, I think we need to move past a stabilizer, another stabilizer. So like, I think the approach of, if you have another anchor, say for example, Poonam Raut or, or Priya Punia, who, who are very much slower scorers, I don't think you have place, um, you should have place for batters like that. But look, I think the issue, um, and this is again, another completely different topic, but um, if I'm, if you allow me to kind of digress a little bit, uh, one of the issues with Indian cricket and, and the fact that our approach to playing one day cricket is kind of slightly outdated is probably because we reward batters who play at that pace. Um, and you look at domestic cricket, um, our top scorers are all people who are batting at strike rates of 60 or 65. And those are players who are who obviously are scoring 400, 450 runs and then making the team. So, and I understand, you know, there's not only one way to select teams and that if you're selecting top performers, you're rewarding them for cons consistency, but you're also rewarding them for playing in a way that's outdated at the top level. Um, and you, and it's, I think it's wrong of us to expect them to go to international cricket and change that. Um, it's, 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 you know, it's not possible to change within one or two games or quickly. So um, I think that whole approach needs to change, that it needs to, we need to also encourage young players to play differently at domestic level and um, say that this is our criteria and we want you to score faster because there are girls 
there who score at 85, 90, but they're, they're only scoring, say, 215, 230 runs. Um, so the numbers don't look great in terms of averages, but their rates are much quicker. So if you're going to, I think we need to kind of figure out what we want um, because, you know, you look at Priya Punia's stats, she's scoring at 60. Harleen Diol scoring at 60 or 70. So if you're going to keep rewarding players like that, then I think you're always going to have an issue at the top level. And people like Smriti Mandana, Harman Kaur, even Shafali Varma, they are exceptions. They're not the rule in India. It's not the way we bat in India. So yeah, I think it needs to change at a lower level for it to then have an effect on, on the national side. And it seems like Ramesh Bauer, um has identified that as one area to improve upon too, because, you know, after the series, he did mention that uh, they're going to be working on strike rotation and conversion rate of dot balls to runs after batters get set. Um, so it, it's obviously something that, you know, they accept that this is something that they need to work on, which is a good sign. Uh, but like you said, it seems like overall, there's there definitely needs to be this, this change in mindset or the change in, probably just coaching, you know, um, to keep up with, if the Indian women need to keep up with other teams who are, who are consistently racking up higher or bigger scores. Uh, so that change needs to start from, you know, the grassroots so that they can throw up more players like the Shafali Varmas and Smriti Mandanas and Harman Kaur's. Um, but yes, uh, it, it definitely looks like it's something that, uh, the Indian coaching setup, at least, is aware of. So let's move into the T20s, uh, the most recent one. So India lost the first T20 um, in a, in a rain-affected game. And then uh, they came back in the second game to win by eight runs. And then the decider was won by England um, pretty convincingly, I would say. With, they won by eight wickets. Uh, so let's talk about Harman Preet, obviously one of the best batters in, I feel, world cricket. And, but her form has been a cause of concern for a while now. Um, of course, she scored uh, 230s in the series. But overall, given her capabilities, given her talent, um, and <laughs> I keep going back to this, like when can we criticize a player when um, they're not delivering consistently? Um, and I know... With Captain C on her mind, do you think that is also playing a, any effect on that? Um, no, I, I don't think the captaincy is really worrying her. I think, um, you know, on, on the flip side, I think that the captaincy is something that kind of makes her or forces her to be involved uh, in mm -hmm. things a little more. And she's also admitted that captaincy has meant that she's not mulling over her form too much. She's not kind of overthinking it. So I guess in that way, it's it's probably in some ways helping her, although it's not showing in her performances. And um, yeah, I mean, she she hasn't been in the runs for, for a while now. I mean, I can't remember a significant innings, um, you know, since that 2018 uh, hundred that she got in the T20 World Cup. She did bat very, very well against South Africa. I mean, I thought that she she looked like um, India's best batter in that series. But um, yeah, she's she's been, I think, one of the, I don't want to call it hallmark because it's not a good thing, but one of the, the things that you've seen, you know, through her career is she is, she hasn't been uh, very consistent. And, you know, when you watch her, you think she should be one of the team's best batters. And well, she is one of the team's best batters, but she has never 
consistently put together match-winning performances. And, um, you know, that's one of my main issues with, with Harman Preet Kaur. And, um, you know, as good as she is, and, and I think, well, she is obviously a match-winner on her day and probably one of the most dangerous players in the world, it is important that we do criticize her because, I mean, again, you're playing for a national team. There are people who are invested in this team. And um, no, I'm just, I hope that the, the last 30 that she did score in the final game, um, it looked like we could see glimpses of, of, of the 171 God. I know that's, those are extremely high standards to compare her to, but um, yeah, she did look like she found a bit of confidence, a bit of form. And, and, you know, I'm just hoping as an Indian fan that she finds runs in the hundred. Um, and that that kind of, um, you know, carries into the, the series against Australia. But um, just looking at her patterns and, and the way she's scored through her career, I'm not uh, I'm not hedging my bets on her being very consistent. Talking about uh, positives from the T20 series, um, I think the first thing that came to mind was fielding, especially in that first T20. Uh, fielding was really spot on. We, uh, I know the... Uh, catch by Harleen Deol got viral, but uh, even other than that, I think Harman Preet took a really good catch, um, and overall, it was a really good effort. Um, it still feels that there's some way to go because there's definitely a couple of weak fielders in the side. I think Shafali Verma, for however good she's with the bat, I think there's definitely scope for her to work on her fielding. Um, so that was one thing that came to mind, and uh, for me, the other positive was. Uh, uh, wicketkeeper uh, Richa Ghosh, her batting in the last T20, I know we ended up losing, but I thought she was really, really good, um, you know, clear uh, thought process, you know, she was using the crease pretty well and uh, just playing around with the field. So uh, really positive for a 17-year-old. Yeah, I think uh, Richa Ghosh was amazing through the through the series. I didn't expect her to be as good as she was with the gloves. Um, I expected that India would would really miss someone like Tanya Bhatia, but yeah, I think Richa Ghosh was was a huge positive. Um, of course, she wasn't as clean as as you know you would have want, but that's expected from someone who hasn't kept a lot uh, in domestic cricket. So, um, and I and I think Richa's um, I suppose success um, gives India a bit of flexibility because she is a very very good batter, which means that they can they can play an extra batter or bowler depending on the conditions. So it's important. Um, her success is, is very, very important. And I, and I hope that, um, you know, this tempts them to kind of push her into that one-day team as well, because um, for a long time, she does bat at number five, six, four Bengal. So she knows what's required in that position. Um, but yeah, going back to your question about the fielding, I think, yeah, they, they were exceptional. I mean, it was, it was kind of a stark contrast from that series against South Africa, where they were dismal and, and dropped a lot of catches but uh, they, they were superb through the series but again a long way to go I think you could just tell with um, you, you compare them to England the pace across the field was was very different the strength of the arms from the boundary very different but um, there are a lot of good things I think the infielding was was pretty good um, we have a lot of young players with, with some very good reflexes and players who are willing to dive which is something that we haven't seen consistently in Indian cricket. So there's a lot to work with. I think this, this group has a, has a lot of young players who, who are extremely exciting. And again, you go back to, you, you need to invest in them um, for the long haul. Right. And um, I think the other aspect was the spinners, uh, both Radha and Poonam, both, you know, they've generally been fabulous. I know they had a bad 
third T20. But other than that, um, they were pretty good. I, I think Radha had her first T20 innings uh, where she did not pick up a wicket, but uh, that's at the back of 27 consecutive T20s with a wicket. So she's obviously very consistent. And I have to say that, uh, I mean, obviously Snerana wasn't, it wasn't her debut tour, but to me, because I was seeing her for the first time, I thought she was like the find of the tour because whether it was in test matches, uh, in the one days, the T20s, she always found ways to, you know, pick wickets, keep the run scoring down in the test, even, you know, get a valuable 50. Um, so were you surprised at all with um, how the spinners did and particularly Snerana? Again, like I, like I mentioned earlier, not surprised that the spinners have been successful. I think India do produce some of the best spinners in the world. So, yeah, I think you kind of just expect them to rock up and take wickets whenever you need them. That's that's the reputation they kind of have, uh, you know, across world cricket. So not not surprised about that. But um, with regards to Snerana, I think um, I was just so happy personally uh, that she was as successful as she was. Um, and, and but I'm not surprised that she was again. This is this is a player who's who's been around the domestic circuit for a, for a very long time now. I think she made her debut in in 2010 or something. So she's played played a lot of of domestic cricket and she's grown since having been dropped um, in 2016. And and we spoke to her coach um, in in the middle of the series about how um, she's kind of come out of that phase where she got smashed around by Sophie Devine. Um, she had knee surgery shortly after that in 2016, and she missed a series of, of domestic cricket. Uh, sorry, she missed a season of domestic cricket, and she went back and, and she worked very, very hard. Um, and of course, she, she kind of had to overcome a, a lot of stuff. Um, but I think for me, just her success is a reflection of, not a reflection, but it, it just represented kind of those 25 plus cricketers um, 25-year-olds, over 25-year-olds who are in the domestic system um, because this is someone who's, who knows her game, who knows exactly what she's doing. She knows what works for her, what doesn't work for her. And that's because she's played for several years. She's, she's had success uh, doing the things she's done. And um, it's not a nice thing to say, but the Indian system is very ageist. Um, and, you know, once you cross 23, 24, as a, as a woman, you're not thought of as... Um, you know, international level material because, you know, people think that, oh, she's just going to fade off in a couple of years. But you think of 24 and that's when you start starting to understand your game. That's when you're starting to figure out how, how to succeed, you know, at senior level or, or whatever you're playing. So I, I think for me, Snerana's success was just a reflection that that, that that is possible and that you need more players like that at the international level because, um, you know, as, as exciting as the Shafali Varmas and Richa Ghoshas and Jamima Rodriguez are, um, there are, you know, there, there, are, there are, those are the exceptions. Those are not the people you're going to find every day. Um, you know, you're not going to find, those are once in a generation talents. Um, and I think it's very hard to just, or it's, it's very harsh on the other players in the system to say that once you cross this age, we don't care about you. And, uh, you know, so for me, Snerana's success was just very heartening in that. And it felt like she represented all the players who have been banging on the door for a very long time, who are over 25, but who haven't, you know, been given a look in simply because they are over 25. All right. So moving on from the tour, we've, I feel like we've talked about, you know, all the three series in, in detail, but um, 
a while back, uh, Izzy Westbury obviously came out with an article about how the women's team hadn't been paid for, I think at that point it was over 14 months since the T20 World Cup had passed. And um, uh, it, I read that and in my mind, I felt as if the BCCI isn't even, you know, incentivizing the women's game at the top level, like forget about <laughs> levels below it. And it, it, it's really a shame. Um, so with that said, like one of the other things that came to my mind was India and Pakistan are the only two nations who, who don't have a recognized players body. Um, do you think that would go a long way in improving the women's game um, just so that they have representation and, you know, uh, there's not instances where, you know, cases like this, where a large amount of money, which can be, you know, life-changing for many of these players, is just held from them for months. And I know it's true for not just the women's cricket, but I know Bihar, uh, Ranji men's players also struggle with the same. So thoughts about a player's body? Yeah, I, th I think a player's body is, I mean, it, it would be incredible if, there, if one came to be in India. I think there could be a lot of change and, and good change that would that could be affected and um you know funnily enough i was talking to my colleague about this the other day but i think that a players association is kind of more important for the women to have and of course if you have a players association it will deal with both but i feel like in india it's more important for the women because there are just so many more issues that um even the international team has to deal with um, it's not just about the domestic players. I know the men domestic players have to deal with just as much as the women. But the fact that your 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 international team has to has to you know deal with issues of of you know late payment and and just basic facilities. The fact that we don't have regular camps and just things like that that they you know you don't have to think of as a, as a male cricketer in India, or at least as an international cricketer, you don't have to think too much about these things, but I feel like a, a player's body, there is no doubt that, um, you know, it would affect great change or it would, it would be amazing to have one um, just for the women to have a voice, because I feel like, you know, just like, for example, after that article broke out um, and not just that article, I think before that there was this whole um, issue about, the fact that the women were traveling via commercial flights to Mumbai, whereas the men had a private jet, um, just things like that. Um, you know, th those issues, when, when that came up, you saw the, the female players tweeting and saying, no, we were given a choice. And no, you went, like, which sane person would say, hey, I would rather risk traveling on a commercial flight. That's ridiculous. I'm sorry, but that is ridiculous. So just the fact that the women are constantly made to feel grateful about these things um, is, I think that needs to end. Um, we need to, like the fact that we're playing a series, oh, we're so grateful. No, you shouldn't, you shouldn't need to feel grateful for playing a series. I mean, it's the board's job to arrange one. Um, the men have been playing for, I don't know how long, and, and you've played like two series in the last over um, like 18 months, I think. So there are just so many issues that I think it will solve, but look, I'm I'm not holding, I, I don't have high hopes that we'll have one anytime soon. I'm glad that you brought that up because I was kind of not sure if I should ask this, but you know, uh, I remember Borya Majumdar tweeting about this and there was this whole thing where I think it was Alyssa Healy responded, or I think he responded to uh, Izzy's tweet and then Alyssa Healy jumped in and then it was all of this, oh, let's get into a debate. And it just became like this whole 
you know, both there are two sides to this thing. But I agree with what you said. There's this mindset of, oh, women's cricket or women's cricketers should be just grateful with what they get, right? And and it's almost disheartening as fans when you see those kind of responses from the cricketers themselves. And we don't know if that's genuinely what they feel or if they're looking at like the big picture and be like, I don't want to rock the boat. Let's just get through this. I don't want any controversies. And it is discouraging for at least like fans like me, I would say, where if you don't raise your voice, if you don't stand up for this, then nobody's going to make any changes. Changes are always brought about by people willing to stand up and say, we can do better. And I feel like either it's this, I don't know what behind the scenes machinations are going on that if there's a, a word, someone is putting a word in the ear saying, hey, don't make this an issue, just let's get through this. Um, but I strongly feel that for changes to happen, especially people who are in a position where they can take a stand, like the more established players, the senior players with they don't have much to lose compared to the younger players who, yes, they would feel like I'm just going to be grateful for this opportunity. I think they need to make strong statements instead of towing the party line, so to speak. Uh, I think that needs to happen because otherwise, if we get responses like what some of the players put out saying, oh, no, it's fine. It's uh, I, I love like commercial. I don't need anything uh, special. Um, yeah, I don't think any changes will take place. So I do see your point about um, a players association, which in itself raises a question though, how seriously will the board take them seriously? Um, because, you know, we've seen that even on the men's side, like player associations have come and gone. There's never been a strong association like you see in probably Australia or England. Um, but yeah, something has to change. Uh, I don't see huge structural changes unless someone takes a stand and i think it has to start with the senior players yeah i think the aspect about being thankful for having a test played is is a classic example because uh that was announced over twitter by jay shah and i was like why is that like i mean i get it he's part of the bcci but why is that announcement coming from him and then it's a one-off test there's no clarity on whether we're going to play more, whether there's going to be a warm-up game, no clarity whatsoever. They just want to take the credit for, you know, doing that one four-day test. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I do think, you know, in such situations, having a players association would probably go a long way where they would be able to negotiate, at least have some, you know, negotiating power. Um, but anyways, I think the... the other topic that uh, sort of is on our mind was obviously we've talked about, you know, women's IPL and how we would want a proper IPL rather than uh, the whatever six game farce that they call the IPL right now. Um, uh, but it's the other aspect, games. four game, that's right. My bad. <laughs> uh, four game, uh, you know, tournament that they have right now. But the other topic that comes to mind is we were, talking to a uh, former women's coach, uh, W.V. Raman, a couple of months back, uh, actually just before Ramesh Pawar was appointed as coach. And he talked about also the need for an under-19 World Cup because he felt that that was a stage where a lot of young women were being, um, you know, recognized as good talents, um, but they just didn't have a motivation between that stage to being picked for India 
you know, at a much later age or, you know, unless, of course, you're an exception like Shifali Verma or Richa Ghosh. Um, so having that under-19 World Cup would just give them a platform, give them some name as well, and obviously a lot of experience. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I think that would be amazing if, if there were an under-19 World Cup, because, again, like you said, it just kind of gives you something to, to aim for. And for those who are not prodigies, which is which are many, um, it, it kind of gives you a realistic aim, I think. And there are a lot of young girls who kind of drop out between that under 19 and, and senior stage because they're not able to crack the senior team uh, as teenagers. So um, I think one of the good things that the BCCI did do is have that under 23 tournament just as a bridging uh, tournament. But uh, yeah, I think an under 19 World Cup will probably change a lot of things. It will also mean that, you know, um, a young player like Richard Goshu, yes, is showing great promise at the international level, but you know, imagine if she plays an under 19 World Cup or an under 19 international series, just the amount she'll learn at that level before she kind of graduates into the senior team will, will be um, huge. And you know, she'll, she'll probably it'll make the transition a lot easier because you know, you see in domestic cricket the jump from Indian domestic cricket to international cricket is huge. So I think it'll, it will also help, you know, bridge the gap a lot like a women's IPL would do. Um, so it, it will be great in, in terms of not just motivation, but also raising the standards of uh, age group cricket in India. Right. And I think the other thing I've noticed over time is if you look at, uh, I know it's not the same game, but the men's under-19 World Cup, every year you'll see, um, you know, the senior teams have at least four to five people who are, who've played the under-19 World Cup. So definitely feels like it's, it's uh, in a way producing, giving them the right exposure to eventually make it. Obviously that's only one of the steps that they undergo to get to the international level, but uh, seems like it's definitely contributing. Also, um, you know, talking about domestic cricket and kind of linking it up with, you know, the Indian women's performances in the last uh, month or so. Um, a few months ago, you sent out a series of tweets that went viral um, for your frank response uh, to people diminishing the quality of women's cricket at the domestic level, uh, people talking about uh, where are the, uh, there's just lack of talent or, or whatever. Um, now we know about your response to that, and you know the general consensus surrounding that. But uh, do you feel in any way uh, that the performance of the Indian women uh, over the last few months have uh, has it vindicated your belief in the quality of domestic cricket, or is that not really relevant or applicable in this particular situation? And it's not about just newer players or younger players. It's also about the, you know, the senior players. They have all made their strides, uh, you know, through domestic cricket to get to where they are right now. Uh, so, do you feel it is a reflection? You know, their performance is an accurate reflection of the quality uh, at the domestic level. Um, it's funny you ask me that because I was thinking this that the moment the the final T twenty I ended, I was wondering, oh, I wonder how that looks now. But <laughs> look, I, I stand by everything I said, and I think um, there are a lot of freakishly talented players in our system. Um, and while our performances or while India's performances in England weren't great, um, you know, one of the things for me is that, uh, you look, not, not everyone who plays international cricket is gonna be able to make that jump. And um, never have I 
said that you know domestic cricket is finishing school for Indian women. It never will be because there's such a big gap. Right. Um, and um, I believe that that's why we need an IPL because that will then serve as finishing school. So I think we have enough talented girls to make up teams, um, you know, for to make up to, to be part of IPL teams or eight IPL teams. I believe we have enough girls for that. Um, but you know, with an international team, you not you need a lot of things to come together. And at least with this Indian women's team, um, at least in limited overs cricket, there are a lot of players playing out of position. Um, and that's one of my major grouses with this team is that you pick seven openers and you say, hey, let's bat one to seven. And Deepu Sharma plays for Bengal as an opener. I, I think, you know, yes, she has played a lot of international cricket as number five, but she goes back to international, uh, to domestic cricket and plays at, as, as an opener. So you're not training for what you're going to do at the international level. So I think that's um, where India kind of make a mistake. I don't, I think what, well, what, what the series has shown is that we do have a lot of talent. Um, and, and that's what I said. We do have a lot of talent. It's not necessarily the finished product. And I think a lot of that needs to change. But when you look at someone like Sneerana, who has been part of that system for a very long time, she's made the jump quite easily because she's been in that system for a very long time. Um, so when you pick someone who doesn't quite know your game, and, and this is, again, where an under-19 World Cup comes into the picture. When you pick an, a teenager, you cannot expect her to know how she's going to succeed against different types of opposition because um, I'll be very honest about age group cricket in, in India while we have the Shafali Varmas and the Richa Ghoshas in it it's not necessarily the strongest because you have girls who are picking up the game at 15 16 so at under 19 level you're not necessarily going to be your best um, and you will take time to develop I mean cricket is not the simplest game to pick up it's not the simplest game to learn it's you have crazy techniques and, and alignment and all these things that you have to learn at a young age. And I think it takes time. Um, so the longer you're in the system, the better you get. And I, I don't think that the, the team's performances in England kind of reflect the ability they have. But again, taken in context, I don't think they played well at all. This is not me defending them. I don't think they deserve to win. I don't even think they deserve to win eight points. Um, this is me very, being very brutally honest. But um, yeah, I think uh, there is plenty of skill in this Indian team. And I think it just, there's a lot of things that, that need to go into them winning. If they, if, I mean, if they want to challenge these top teams, just you know, the, the way they approach the game, I think the way they plan, there's so many things that they didn't do well in England. But uh, yeah, I think in terms of just the, the sheer skill that they showed, there's a lot there. Okay. Well, Ananya, uh, thank you so much uh, for your time. Uh, you know, we really appreciate your thoughts on, you know, the last couple of months for the women's team. I mean, it sure is an exciting team. Uh, it sure it's an exciting time uh, for women's cricket and particularly for the Indian women. And uh, as we wrap this up, I know that the Indian women, uh, their next assignment is in Australia. Uh, so what are your expectations uh, for that? Um, well, you know, Ramesh Bawar did say that they're going to have a camp soon. So, you know, hopefully that happens and they're able to kind of iron out their chinks. And um, I, I don't expect them to go in with massive changes within the squad. But um, 
look, if, if we play the way we did in England, then not expecting us to do very well. But uh, again, we have the talent to do it. Uh, I hope we compete much better than we did in England. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to make any predictions or say these are my expectations because usually when I say something, the complete opposite happens. So as an Indian fan, I'm going to say Australia are going to whitewash us. We're not going to do anything. But uh, yeah, I think... The good old you know, reverse jinx. Yeah, it, it's. I think it's going to be, in, truthfully, very, very hard um, if we play the way we did. Well, on that very optimistic note, uh, <laughs> we'll sign off. Uh, but Anya, thank you again so much. And uh, well, we hope you come back again. Uh, we'll talk about Australian uh, tour next time. Well, if, if, if you actually do want to have me again, well, thank you very much. I think I, I rambled on bit too much but but thanks for having me and listening to all my rants didn't have to i didn't have to do all this on twitter thank you so much (laughs) (laughs) the podcast medium is great for rambling and ranting so anytime you want to do that feel free to come back and we'll give you some time to do that thanks for time well that's it for this episode of the last wicket A special thanks to Ananya Upendran for her time and perspectives. You can find more of her on Twitter at A underscore Upendran 11. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this conversation, do rate and subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. Follow us on your social media feeds and leave us a voice message if you would like to share your thoughts with us. Thank you for listening. And from all of us here at The Last Wicked, stay safe and stay healthy.